0: So this morning, we are continuing our series, Bread of Life. But before we do that, before we do that, I want to just throw something. There there are certain topics that it is viewed as inappropriate, unacceptable, something you just shouldn't like uh, just talk about in the public forum or on social media for that matter. One of those is kind of just a, a, a relatively like accepted topic that you just shouldn't discuss. I'm not saying that I agree with this, by the way. But most people believe you just shouldn't talk about politics in the public forum. You're going to disagree with people. Feelings are going to be hurt. I've actually included in the past, there's another time that I was sharing this stage, and uh, I got to mention about how I like to use politics during the uh, holiday season just to see what kind of reactions certain family members get. Amen? It's a little bit of fun, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's probably not the best, best thing to do. The second thing... Uh, the second thing that uh, that's very widely known, you probably just shouldn't, shouldn't talk about this. I don't necessarily agree with this one. I definitely don't. But many people say that you shouldn't discuss religion. Now, while if you're a Christ follower, if you are one in Christ, uh, then you know that that is not what you've been instructed by Scripture to do. But I'm going to share a life hack with you this morning as we begin our time uh, together. If you... There are very few times that it's as stressful if you're sitting on an airplane without assigned seats, you're sitting on an airplane and people just start walking by and you're sitting there thinking, oh, I don't want him sitting next to me or I don't want them sitting next, to, I just want an open chair. I'm gonna share this with you. If you want something to kind of almost, not necessarily guarantee, but almost guarantee having the seat next to you, just reach in your bag and pull out your Bible and set it on the tray table in front of you. Most people do not want to have forced, awkward conversation for however long your flight is with the person who puts their Bible out on the tray. Now, I do have to warn you. If somebody does want to engage in conversation, be careful. It's a risk. You see what I'm saying? It's a risk. Now, very, very good chances are if you put the Bible in front of you People won't want to sit next to you, but if they do, they will want to engage your conversation for the entirety of your flight. You see, most of the time, uh, most of the time, people want to kind of stay clear of of religious talk. You see, the reason why is because the topic of faith is a topic that is an extremely divisive topic. Just like politics, more so than politics, faith is a topic that will divide up families, will divide up friends, will, uh, will... Call some of the most just graphic arguments on social media this morning as we are continuing our series, of The Bread of Life. We're going to continue journeying through the book of John. The passage that we're looking at today is actually a response in a statement that Jesus made, uh, a few, uh, that, that Jesus had made in the last few verses that Pastor John taught on last week. So if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to cover those, uh, those verses again. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 7 beginning in verse 37. So if you remember, Pastor John has, has just so beautifully taken us through this, uh, through this cha- entire chapter up until this point of John. We've had uh, Pastor Adam, Pastor Chris uh, before that. And uh, in John chapter 7, 37 says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, this moment occurred most likely at the moment that the water ceremony of all of Israel, when all of Israel was gathered. While everyone was gathered, Jesus uses this very moment to proclaim that if anyone's thirsty, they should come to him for something to drink. It's very apparent that Jesus was not avoiding attention. In fact, while you could probably make the argument that he was seeking the attention he used such a statement he used such a moment in order to, uh, to proclaim who he is after all that's why he used that very moment to cry out at the feast you see this is what this is what we consider this is something that we would probably consider a defining moment in the life of Christ if anyone if someone at that moment did not know who Jesus was it became very clear who he was claiming to be Jesus was claiming to be the messiah the one that the Jews were waiting all this long time for. So, needless to say, this rubbed some people the wrong way. This rubs some people. Some people were extremely upset by this claim that Jesus had made. So looking at these few verses, we see that this is one of the greatest moments in the earthly life of Christ. It's one of the moments where Jesus offered himself as the water that would always satisfy those who drank it. In fact, the invitation that Christ offers is a reference back to the passage in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. But he's inviting, he says, come who thirsts. This invitation that Christ offers is to come to Jesus and drink, meaning to believe in Jesus and enter into a personal relationship with him. In this public setting, Jesus made it known that he that he uh, that he can meet our needs. That's something we've seen throughout the entirety of, of John thus far. Is that Jesus is in is in the uh, the the or has the ability to uh, to meet physical needs that those that he encounters with. It starts in John chapter two, where we see Jesus turns water into wine. Right there was a need. There was a need. There was there was no wine, and uh, if you're going to go to a seven day long Wedding, there needs to be one. You see, we see that there are physical needs. We see that Jesus, uh, that Jesus um, uh, feeds the, um, the 5,000. We see that he cares about the physical needs uh, of the people around him. But that's not where he stops. He goes on to clarify that he is our satisfaction. He offers satisfaction, which reveals he is fully capable of meeting our need for salvation. Based on his proclamation, based on what we've just read, just a few verses that, as I mentioned, Pastor John covered last week, there are some concerns among those that have surrounded Christ, concerns of the the authenticity of such claims. There there grew a division among the people, among the crowds. They were divided on who Jesus is. They were divided on the role that he were to play. And uh, here was the response to Jesus' claims. So in John chapter seven, continuing on to verse 40, says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. And some said, is the Christ that come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David, where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of, them, uh, some of them wanted him arrested, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests of the Pharisees and said to, them, said to them, Why did you not bring him? Verse 46, the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is a curse, Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who, was a, and who was one of them said to them, verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray and then we will begin our time this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we just... We are grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning, as we get to open and read and study Your Word together, God. We're grateful for the opportunity that we live in a country where we can do so freely. So, this morning, God, as we uh, as we dive into Your Word, my prayer is that we will focus on what, uh, focus on this text, focus on what it meant then, what it means now for us, knowing that it is still relevant for us this morning, God. I pray. As I always do, God, I pray that you'll let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I mentioned earlier, the comments that Jesus made in verses 37 and 38, they were extremely controversial. In fact, by, the, by claiming to be the Messiah, these comments uh, at issue led to the crowd's reaction, which was that they were unsure about what had taken place. So the people were, were divided. If you're taking notes, this is one our first point is that the, the human expectation of Jesus has and continues to pale in comparison to his glorious reality. You see, the expectation of who Jesus is didn't quite meet up with the uh, Jews at this time. One of the worst things a celebrity can ever say and get recorded, get video footage of whenever someone confronts them, one of the worst phrases a celebrity can ever say is, do you know who I am? There has never been a time that a celebrity has, has said that, and they're like, oh, cool. You're, I didn't know that. You see, Whatever that happens, it's a, uh, it is an extremely awkward conversation. There, there, have been, uh, there have been a time where by saying such a, such a phrase, it's never helped out in a situation. But at this point, there was much confusion about who Jesus is because of Christ. There was significant division among the crowd. The division not only confused those in the crowd, the fact that Jesus caused unsureness uh, for them is somewhat confusing for us. Because by stating who he is, he was causing division among them. You see, that's not really the, the, uh, the vibe that we get whenever we think about Jesus. That's not really the, uh, the, the image of Christ that we have whenever we sit down and think who Jesus actually is. You see, after all, in the book of Isaiah, Jesus is referenced as the Prince of Peace. So how can the Prince of Peace cause division you see, the crowds were divided or they disagreed about who Jesus was. So there were three opinions. There were three opinions about who Jesus was. The first one was the prophet. You see, they thought that he was the prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses teaching. He says, like me from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Just as you desire of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, at least I die. Verse 17, and the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will, put my mouth, or my, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So the confusion was that Jesus was the prophet, that Jesus was the prophet that uh, the Deuteronomy was teaching about. You see, while outside the land of Canaan, Moses promised that Jehovah would give them another prophet like him. Now, actually, if you go on to chapter 3 of, uh, of the book of Acts, we see that in Peter's sermon, that Christ was indeed the prophet. But once again, it wasn't what they were expecting. The second, the second opinion about who Jesus was at that day was the Messiah. You see, others in the crowd correctly assumed that Jesus was the Christ, was the Messiah. And then the third opinion was that he was just another man. And this is important to point out that it's just another man because, because they thought that, uh, they thought that Jesus was just another man because... They assumed incorrectly. You see, the scriptures taught that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, but some in the crowd wrongly assumed that Jesus was born in Galilee because that's where he was residing at the time. So they were confused. They said, is this guy uh, not the, uh, I mean, is the prophet to be born in Galilee? We thought he was supposed to be in Bethlehem. You see, they had no idea what to think about about who Jesus was. Back in the fall of 2000, there was a product that was launched that to still this day is considered one of the uh, biggest commercial flops of all time. I remember this uh, because I was was a child then or, or a teenager. Heinz launched colored ketchup. Does anyone remember this? We've got a picture of it. Colored ketchup. Anyone remember this? Yeah, so they decided for whatever reason that we needed green ketchup and we needed purple ketchup. And for whatever reason, these guys who make a lot more money than I thought that kids would really enjoy ketchup if it were purple. The problem is, it tasted the exact same. It tasted the exact same as regular ketchup but there was something in our mind while eating purple or green ketchup that had just tasted nasty. I would promise you that there were a majority of those bottles that were purchased were, I wouldn't even say enjoyed once, used one time and then stayed in the refrigerator until it expired or until you moved and then you're like, why do we still have this purple ketchup? You see, it did not match the expectation that you had whenever you purchased it. It didn't look as it was expected. You see, no matter what the people thought about Jesus, there was nothing that could prepare them for the reality and for the truth of who Christ is. You see, some were expecting a royal leader. they have been thinking, they been, have been waiting for the Messiah for so long that their expectation was he was going to be a royal leader. He was going to be a king, the king of all kings. He was going to be the one who was going to come in and conquer, that he was going to be the one that was gonna take over as the royal leader. Others were expecting a militant leader who would come and challenge the government, the government that was, that was corrupt, that the people didn't like. They thought that they were finally going to get a Messiah who was going to come and take over the government for their sake. You see, however, most was not expecting Jesus to be the man who was at the feast on this particular day being that there was some, some disagreements on, who, on who, this, who Jesus was claiming to be and who they actually thought he might be, the tension among the group did not simply reside with just uh, the role in which Jesus was to have. You see in verse 43, uh, there was a, we see that there was a tremendous division at this point. However, none of this was a surprise to Jesus. You see, our second point this morning is that Christ's earthly mission by nature Brings division. Christ's earthly nature, uh, Christ's earthly mission by nature, brings division. Jesus knew that this was overwhelming. This beautiful claim that he was making would certainly cause division. This is something that he had referenced at another point in Matthew chapter ten, verse thirty-four. He says, "Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword." Verse 35, I have come to uh, to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That last one, probably not that difficult, but you see in Luke chapter two, that's not the only time that he references that. Luke chapter 12, verse 51 says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, In one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. The reason for Christ's division was because by his nature, his nature that Jesus Christ made peace possible for anyone who has put their faith and trust in him. This is possible of the perfect nature in which Christ exists. So whenever you take Christ's perfect nature and compare it to I were not perfect nature. I were very far from perfect nature. We see that there's a division there. Because of His nature, unbelievers are at, God, are at odds with God and His requirement for holiness. That is the division that Jesus is, requ- is referring to in Matthew and in the books of Matthew and Luke. The division over the gospel is a manner in which some families will be split. To do much smarter than I am, uh, R. Kent Hughes puts it beautifully. He states, Christ did not want to bring division, but because of, his, because of the sinfulness of our hearts, because of our fallenness, because of our unwillingness to repent and bow to him, the Prince of Peace is Christ, the divider. You see, it's because of our sinfulness that we are divided into two different groups. You have those who have repented from, from, from their sins and believe, And those who have not. And you see, the division over Christ continues to this very day. That's something that we've all experienced if you're in Christ. You see, the mention of Christ will bring division in our life. That is why, as I mentioned at the beginning of our time together, is that religion is just something people don't enjoy uh, conversing about. You see, that's why there's the many arguments that occur because of religion. But you see, Christ has just relayed the message that he could provide life, and the result was division. The reason, the reason for this is because when one, when one subscribes to what Christ has to say, then the rest of his or her life is redirected. Once we're in Christ, our affections, they change. Our life is redirected into something that's going to please him and that we're not living for ourselves. It is through this change that occurs in our lives that once we are in Christ, that causes a divide in the rest of our life, in every aspect, and every facet of our life. That's why if you're not careful, if you're anything like me, it's really difficult or it can be really easy to have your church friends and your not church friends, Right? It's very easy to, to, uh, to separate our friends because of that natural divide that is because of Christ. Many of us have had similar experiences. You see, I'm going to tell you this. as a pastor, I've been, I've been uh, doing student ministry for, for a long time, and at a previous place of ministry, I wasn't going to include this, but I will now because I'm here, and there's nothing we can do about it. You, know? you see, there's something about... Now, there's, there's two reasons for this, I get. But at a previous place of ministry... You guys know how whenever I'll do the welcome, I clarify that I'm not gonna show up at your house tomorrow night, right? So I'll come up here, hey, good morning, welcome to Capshaw, fill out this connect card. I promise you we're not gonna come visit you tomorrow night, right, yeah, because we won't. And the reason why we won't is first off because we value your time, but second off, if I can be really candid with you, is I've had to do that before. And there are very few things as awkward as going to someone's house and hearing them say, be quiet. The people from the church are here. I don't care how secure of a person you may be, that hurts, that stings a little bit. Now one, it may be because Monday Night Football's on, they don't wanna be disrupted. Or the other, it may be because I don't wanna talk about, I just got off of work. You see, that's why it's easy. That's why it's easy to see this divide that Christ causes. You see, many of us have had similar experiences. Maybe not the visitation thing. I don't expect you to have had that. But whenever people find out that you're a Christ follower at work, then there's some, there can be some reactions there. You see, we might be expected to hang out with a different group. You see, even though we have a cursed, sin, uh, a sin-filled, cursed heart, the gospel has the power to change even the desires of our heart. You see it's through this divide we see that the gospel is not done at conversion. You see whenever we have an encounter with Christ that doesn't just stop the moment that we become a Christ follower the moment that we that we felt God drawing us back to him and then we and then we enter into a relationship with him we're baptized that's not when the gospel stops. You see it's not done at conversion. You see, as we wrap up our time this morning, we look at the remainder of this passage, we see that uh, we, we're able to see why Christ's claims are one, the divide man, but we also it also shows how to obtain the fullness that Christ offers. So if we go back and reread John chapter 7, 45, it says, and the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one has ever spoken. No one has ever spoke like this man. You see, imagine all of the different answers that could have been generated during this conversation. You see, there's a lot of different answers that the the, uh, guards could, that the officers could have given back to the chief priests and the Pharisees. They basically got called out for not doing their job. And their answer was, "No one has ever spoken like this man." You see, there are a bunch of other options they could have said. They could have said, "We just don't want to." Another one: we we feared that if we did that, the people would riot. People would go crazy. You see, all of these could have been legitimate responses. However, the real reason why they did not bring Jesus in was because they were simply overwhelmed by the presence of Christ. They were blown away by His teaching. This reveals that there was was a disconnect between the Sanhedrin and their guards. Rather than not writing Christ off as the Messiah like the Sanhedrin did, the guards listened to his teachings. They heard the message of the gospel. They heard that Jesus can satisfy. So if we continue on, verse 47 says, the Pharisees answered, answered them, have you also been deceived? Basically saying, have you lost your mind? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So once they're actually causing division at this point, they're saying, listen, we're too smart for this. But then they go on and say that basically it's the crowd, the lowly crowd that would believe in this. You see, at least in the minds of the Pharisees, no one of account either spiritually or academically believed in Christ. They believed that no one smart enough would, be, would, would believe that Christ is who he claimed to be because they viewed that only those that were ignorant would accept what Jesus was saying. You see, as we end our time, uh, as we end today's passage, as we end our time today, we see that Nicodemus then entered into the conversation. Nicodemus we covered several weeks ago. He's the one who, uh, who came to Jesus by night early in the book of John. And he was the one that asked what it meant to be born again. You see, we see the gospel then. We see that uh, it's not a physical birth, but a spiritual one. With the verses we began with our time this morning, we see that in order to drink from the spiritual waters that Christ offers, we have to realize our thirst. We have to realize our emptiness. We have to realize that we have a need to be satisfied you see, there's nothing that we can bring to the table. There's nothing we can do to gain the approval from Christ. Because of the work of Christ, because of him dying a, or living a perfect life and dying a, a death that we deserve, his work is what allows us an opportunity for those that he draws back to him, back to God. So our final point this morning is satisfaction is found in Jesus, salvation is offered by Jesus plus nothing. I'm going to be honest with you, because I have been thus far too. In Capshaw, students, we began a series this past Wednesday night where, we've journey, where, we're going to, where we began journeying through the book of, uh, of Galatians. And in Galatians, we see that uh, at that point, false teachers had stepped in and tried to convince the church then that, uh, that you had to add other things in order... To gain salvation, and our title is plus nothing. But I thought it was very, uh, very relevant this morning to point out that even though division is occurs whenever we speak of religion, when we speak of Christ, that He still offers fullness because of His love. You See, that's where that title comes from. It's still relevant. There's nothing we're going to do to earn it. There's nothing we're going to do. to to justify ourselves before the Lord. You see, though Jesus causes division amongst us, his gospel is very unifying. His gospel is still sufficient for all of those that are in him. So for satisfaction, it takes Jesus plus nothing else.